I would like to welcome you all very warmly to this retreat here at IMS. For those of you that we don't know, my name is Yanai. This is Catherine and Akinchino. And we're very happy to be here with you this evening and for this nine-day retreat. And it's... uh, really a delight to sit and see amongst you many familiar faces and some of you very regular visitors here to this retreat and to IMS and equally amongst you those who to me are certainly new and lovely to see new faces and uh, some of you I understand here at IMS for the first time and some of you I imagine doing your very first retreat and so uh, how wonderful whether coming for one's first retreat or coming for one's uh, umpteenth as it may be or anywhere in between you're all very welcome and I'd really like specifically to say within that, that whatever your ethnic origin, race, color, gender identity, sexuality, you're very welcome here. Whatever your cultural background, religious background, educational background, your ability, or any way you know yourself, however you are, whoever you are, you're very welcome here. And I feel very privileged to have the opportunity to come and sit, to be here with you, coming from some distance across the sea, living in a country which is not where I came from. And yet, having known this place here, IMS, as a home, having lived here some 20 years ago, having lived in different parts of the world, this place is, for me, one of the the places I, I think of and feel as, as home, both as a, as a retreat center, as a place of practice, but also as a, as a collection of people that we could also call IMS, who value, who care about, who love, and who are dedicated to things that I also care for and love and feel my life dedicated to. And so, again, as I said, I feel very fortunate to to be able to share this with others. And this evening we'd like to take a little time just to reflect on and to speak about just some of the useful areas of consideration that we might give attention to in embarking upon a retreat such as this. Some of the structures and frameworks that will be supportive for us in doing so. And actually, just as we go, I realize, having got this far in already, I hope it's not too far before I say, actually, can you hear me? Is the sound coming through? Yeah? If at any time this evening or at any point during the retreat, you can't hear us, and I'm again assuming you want to hear us, we want you to hear us, that's for sure, Um, let us know. Wave out or call out if you need to, I can't hear you, so that we can 
adjust accordingly if either our voices are too low or the equipment for some reason isn't doing what it's supposed to. On the odd occasion where someone has told me at the end of a retreat, you know, throughout the whole thing I couldn't hear what you were saying, I felt rather sad. Not that that's something wrong that they've done, but more that the intention is that we actually share something here together. And this is part of what supports that. And so coming into a retreat, stepping out of the what may be for many of us the normal, the ordinary, the familiar conditions and circumstances of our lives, the demands and pressures, and uh, also, of course, the delights and enjoyments we may experience within our day-to-day lives. Turning our focus, our gaze, our life, we could say, for a period of time towards something very particular. And we could think of this, we could reflect on this or speak about it in many different ways. What it is that we imagine or understand ourselves to be doing here. For me, it very much has a sense of turning towards that which seems most important. That which is of most real and deep concern for our life. And this is very much, we could say, the territory of spiritual practice of of giving consideration, giving focus, giving time to what it is that is truly important and also that what it is that's actually possible for us as human beings. That we have a remarkable capacity, a remarkable potential for deepening in wisdom and kindness, for living with grace and ease amidst the turbulence and the challenges and the difficulties of our lives, of our world. To be able to find a freedom within the limits and the constraints of our existence. To bring and to have a sense of bringing also a offering of our life to the world and to each other. These and perhaps other things too, not perhaps, certainly other things too, will be part of what maybe move you. It's not that there's just one thing that brings us to a retreat. But however we come here, for whatever intentional purpose it is that brings us here, for me I always have the sense when sitting at the front and the beginning of a retreat such as this, But equally when I'm sitting not at the front in the midst of a group of people such as yourselves when I'm myself on retreat. Just the sense of stepping into a stream, into a current that flows through humanity that has been found or that has been expressed in different ways and forms throughout all times and in all realms and regions of the world. Human beings like ourselves have made the choice, have consciously undertaken periods of solitude, of silence, of contemplative practice, of cultivating wholesome qualities of heart and mind out of a, out of a sense of being moved to do so for the well-being of oneself, but equally for the well-being of others.
And this is something beautiful. This is something powerful. And this is something that I feel is also blessed. Something that brings so much to our world, to our lives, to each other. And so just in terms of some context for how we will be engaging in that way, the teachings and practices we'll be offering over the course of this retreat are drawn primarily and essentially from the teachings of the the Buddha, the Buddhist tradition that's emerged from the teachings that he gave. And the Buddha was a human being who lived on this earth, who lived in a world in some ways rather different, but in many ways remarkably similar to the world we live in today. Certainly his experience in in its essential elements was not so far removed from our own. And his interest to engage with with it, to discover, to understand what was possible for a human being, his passion and dedication in that regard, bore some remarkable fruit that he shared with other people who were interested to also explore and understand. And they they practiced, they shared these teachings, and they come to us as the living generation sharing something, exploring something that is not just a historical tradition or an ancient and sort of famous religious movement. It has that element to it. But for me, it equally arises from the truth of our human experience that we can know for ourselves directly, that we can see and understand in the immediacy of our life wherever we find ourselves. And so it's not just some kind of historical tradition or religious form of practice or ancient spiritual sort of technical or technology. It's something that's very alive and that's informed by our life. (coughs) And in this way, I think, has maintained and sustained a degree of relevant significance and transformative potency that without both those elements it might not have otherwise been able to. And having spent really most of my adult life engaged in practicing and serving and exploring and upholding these teachings, these practices, I I can't imagine how my life would have been without it seems fortunate accident whereby I stumbled across them. And without, in my first encounter, really having a clue what was going on, to be honest, at the same time something in me said yes to this. And I think we have in us a natural responsiveness to what feels true and authentic, to what actually touches the territories of our life that we care deeply about. And so we come on a retreat like this. We find ourselves here. It doesn't mean that we leave our life behind. A retreat is not about stepping away from our life at all. In fact, yes, there's a way in which we put down and give ourselves space from many of the activities and the engagements or the responsibilities and priorities we may at other times need to uphold. But this retreat and the practices of meditation and reflection that we will engage in together 
they are engaged with this heart, this mind, this body, the same heart and mind and body in and which and through we live our lives. So this will be very much engaged with our life. And yet engaging with it in such a way as to, as to support, as to maximize the potential for, for what is wholesome and what is beneficial to develop, to emerge, to develop, to grow and strengthen within us, individually and collectively. And so, although this is something in one sense we do on our own, it's also something we do together. And I'd just like to invite you to take a moment, because for me, and I don't know, my co-teachers for me perhaps feel similarly, I always feel really fortunate to be able to sit and look upon so many lovely faces, and I realize you have kind of less options since you're all looking, there's only three of us up here, so I'd like to invite you, if, you'd, if you wish, you don't have to take a moment, just look around and see who's here. You don't have to look soulfully into each other's eyes or make deep, meaningful contact. You can, but you also don't even have to look around if you don't want to. But I've seen and learned over many years that the people who come on such retreats as this are pretty reliably kindly folk, good-hearted, gentle, and also sometimes passionate but essentially people that one might feel okay about spending some time with. And you're not going to have the chance to get to know them all before we do this, but whether or not you take it from me, there's something nice about just having a sense, okay, we're here together. This is something we do together. And one of the things we do together, which I just want to name at this point that feels important is to undertake an intentionality of supporting and caring for each other and ourselves and, in fact, all of life as a, as a basic foundation for spiritual practice. Respect and care for each other and ourselves is essential. And within the, the, the teachings of the Buddha and within the Insight Meditation tradition and here at IMS, Insight Meditation Society, this is something that everyone who comes, who lives, who works, who practices here are asked to undertake what we call the five ethical trainings or the five ethical precepts, which are a way of framing that intention to refrain from taking life or harming any living beings. To refrain from taking things which aren't freely offered to us or misusing in any way things that belong not to ourselves. To refrain from causing harm through sexuality, which in the context of the retreat is to, to not engage in any intentional sexual activity, just to give each other the space and ourselves to be with our own practice. And in the context of life, it's not that we remove this area from our um, from our including that in our life, but that we do so with respect, with sensitivity, and seeing what's appropriate in the realm of sexuality. The fourth precept is to refrain from harmful expressions of speech. And in the context of the retreat, that very much means supporting the silence, which we'll speak more about in a little while. And, and also just the sense of 
what is to listen carefully to however we speak to ourselves or to each other and to ourselves internally for what seems true in all of this what seems useful and really respecting the power of words what that we articulate internally to ourselves equally as we might articulate to others and the fifth guideline and precept to refrain from the use of alcohol drugs and toxicants such things that can easily cloud the mind and lead to actions which we later regret that may harm others or ourselves. And these precepts, these intentions, are not somehow moral injunctions. The failure of upholding perfectly will lead to some catastrophic or climax, sort of like catastrophic, sort of um, irredeemable outcome. Um, or we might think of it, you know, ending up somewhere hot. It's not like that. But we actually see that our engagement and the intention we bring contributes profoundly to the quality of our inner experience and our world. And this, this is something that taking care of is really important. And so we ask everyone here to undertake this intention. And uh, it's actually a real blessing. I often find myself reflecting as one of my early teachers would observe. You know, imagine the world, how it would be if all human beings followed just one of these guidelines. Just as well as they could. Not perfectly, because we're not perfect in those terms. But just if everyone tried as hard as they could to follow any one of them. What a different world we live in. And imagine the world, how it would be if we would, as a human race, all endeavor to follow all of them. How amazing that would be. And we can live to a certain degree. We can create that world in ourselves through that inner orientation and together through undertaking together these intentions and these practices, these precepts. And this is a real blessing and offering to each other and ourselves. And so therefore we ask that everyone here undertake the precepts. And I thank you for your understanding and undertaking in that regard. So I think I'll pause here and uh, I'll have a little more to say later on. Thank you. Just enjoying coming into this hall again after a year. I was here for the retreat last year and just enjoying the silence and the it, what seems to me like a palpable practice history in this room of many decades. I don't know if any of you get that. You can sense sometimes the quality of silence that's here. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to being able to practice and share teachings with you these 10 days. So thank you for coming. I wouldn't be here without you all. And, um, yeah. First night, we would like you to reflect a little bit about what brings you here, you personally, what's in your mind, what's in your heart, what's in your life. What do you care about most? 
what is of most importance to you that brings you to the cushion to practice. For you personally and very lightly, you personally in the collective in this world at this time, because it's always an interaction. We can't just, the practice isn't a, isn't a please do not disturb me forever practice. We cultivate qualities of, of non-distractedness, presence, stillness, so that we can really understand, really do the work um, that allows us to know happiness and freedom, which is what the Buddha is pointing to. But what brings you here? Where do you intersect your personal heart with your practice with the world? And I found this a quote I liked. Somebody once asked um, <clears throat> Rupert Sheldrake if he could say in one sentence something practical that could make a huge difference to our world. And his response was very succinct. He said, if every tourist were to become a pilgrim, if every tourist were to become a pilgrim, so there's something tonight about entering a journey, um, whether or not the language of pilgrimage speaks to you, I'm going to use it for the moment. For every tourist to become a pilgrim, what does that mean? Um, what, what was he pointing to? And without doing in any injustice to tourists here, I'm using, going to use a stereotype, but I think of myself when I'm a tourist, I, I, I kind of want to get something. And I want to have a nice experience, something for me, whatever I think it is I deserve, you know, whatever. Right? The pilgrim, on the other hand, I think, enters into a journey with a, an orientation that's different. There will be benefit for the pilgrim, no doubt. <clears throat> We're not separate from um, our kind of whole relationship with the world, with the cosmos. But the pilgrim enters the journey, I would say, um, not just for themselves. Um, that there's an orientation for their heart and their mind um, that speaks to them of something that beckons them beyond what they already know. That beckons them beyond perhaps their familiar conceptions of themselves thus far that they have known and of the world. So I would um, ask, invite us all to reflect on this possibility of um, letting our travel, letting our journey of this week, of this 10 days, be something blessed. What makes it blessed? Um, what takes us? What beckons us beyond what we already know? And one reflection in that tonight is the practice of refuge. Um, <clears throat> I think as I get not, not just older, but that's one of the things that happens anyway, isn't it? <laughs> As I get older, one of the things I notice with practice is the, 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 the relevance of this practice of refuge, of what is it that I can turn my heart and mind towards? Where can I turn? Where can I turn when the winds of my inner life or the outer life are blowing, raging, <clears throat> or not happening? Where can I reliably turn this heart and mind in such a way that will um, be blessed, actually, take me beyond what, 
where I'm kind of spinning at the surface, spinning with the contents of my mind, spinning with the appearances in the world. So in the tra- this tradition, the language is framed as refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And I invite us to th- uh, reflect upon this a little right now. So taking, turning my heart and mind towards Buddha means in that innate potential that he reminded us and pointed us so brilliantly to for freedom and happiness. Not outside, I would say, not outside of the conditions of our life, but in and through them. So in our possibility, each of your possibility, not someone else's possibility, each of our possibilities, if we're willing to do the work, actually, of, 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 uh, of the path. Refuge in Dhamma, <clears throat> turning my heart, turning my mind towards Dhamma, towards a, an underlying, intelligent, understandable, shaping framework that I can rest in, that, 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 that shows me principles of the way reality works, the way it looks, the way, sorry, the way it works, underpinning what may appear at the surface or what I'm spinning in, and I can rest in that. I can understand Dharma conceptually, very important, intellectually, beautiful. There might be faith in this possibility, and it's for each one with our refuge practice to know this, to know this possibility of this Dharma, this framework, where we can both understand and therefore rest more deeply, right to ourselves, our bones, our blood, and all the spaces between. And refuge in Sangha, that we're not alone in this. That our, there are many who walk this path. Um, this isn't an alone show. We're never alone, actually. And we can know this for ourselves as we widen, as we deepen through our own experience a kind of belonging that we can return to that is blessed. So each morning we'll chant refuges um, in Pali language, which we'll um, sing, sing, chant together a little bit later. I think I'll finish, I'd like to finish for now, a blessing from John O'Donoghue, which I really love for us as we... Um, begin this embark tonight. It's called A Blessing for the Traveler. He says, Every time you leave home, another road takes you into a world you were never in. New strangers on other paths await you. New places that have never seen you will startle a little at your entry. Old places that you know, that know you well will pretend nothing changed since your last visit. When you travel, you find yourself alone in a different way, more attentive now to the self you bring along, your more subtle eye watching you abroad and how what meets you touches that part of the heart that lies low at home, how you unexpectedly attune to the timbre in some voice, opening to a conversation you want to take in, to where your longing has pressed hard enough inward on some unsaid dark to create a crystal of insight you could not have known you needed to illuminate your way. 
When you travel, a new silence goes with you. And if you listen, you will hear what your heart would love to say. A journey can become a sacred thing. Make sure before you go to take the time to bless your going forth, to free your hearts of ballast so the compass of your soul might direct you towards the territories of spirit where you will discover more of your hidden life and the urgencies that deserve to claim you. May you travel in an awakened way, gathered wisely into your inner ground, that you may not waste the invitations which wait you along the way to transform you. May you travel safely, arrive refreshed, and live your time away to its fullest, returning home more enriched and free to balance the gift of days which call you. Good. Um, let's see whether this works. Can you hear me? Yeah, good. Um, retreats have an artificiality to them. Uh, let us acknowledge some of what takes place. Uh, much of what we do in those days to come uh, is probably in contrast to some of how our lives look like. We. Um, well, it's in a way simple. Both rituals and repetitions hinge, or rituals and routines, let's put it like that, hinge on repetition. Yeah. Our usual response to repetition is a decrease of attentiveness. It's not your personal fault, it's, it's a design fault. Yeah, it's uh, under the guise of saving energy, uh, we establish autom automatisms, and by that automatism, or by that tendency to automatism, we miss out on stuff. We pretend we know more than we actually do, we dare more than we actually are, we're more attuned than we actually turn out to be. And uh, meditation is an attempt to undo some of this. So, in a in a way, we, we do lots of rituals. We ritualize sitting, standing, walking, eating, taking rests, going to the loo, cleaning stuff. We use the power of repetition, but rather than generating automatisms, the idea is to repeat things in the fullness of a presence of mind. So what makes the difference between the ritual and the routine is that the routine is uh, just a repetition. The ritual is the enactment of an outer symbolic act of an inner attitude bringing the full presence of our mind again and again to what is happening, to what we're doing, to what we're engaged and to what we're in relationship with. Uh, some of that is inspiring, and um, we may cherish that, and some of that will go against the grain. So, we all have uh, habits. It's nice to have things one's own following, one's own sweet will, 
and it is likely that some of the pattern, the organization of the day, the amount of people here, or simply the schedule will go against your preferences. And at that point it is important that you recognize that you're not actually here to cultivate good feelings. Okay, so while we don't write it into our brochures, um, but now that you're here, I think it's fair to acknowledge this. Yeah? Um, you know, the, un, the uninitiated meditator thinks we, when I feel good, then my meditation is good, and when I feel bad, uh, something is wrong. Either I'm doing it wrong, or the teaching is wrong, or the teachers are no good, or the center is no good. Or, um, and I really wish you that you feel good in your meditation, but you can do a lot more with meditation than just feel good. And the uncoupling of the feel-good factor and the self-evaluation of what's going on in my practice is one of the tasks. It's not so easy as I make it sound right now. Um, that has complexity which we hope to touch into in the coming days. But it's necessary to identify that what motivates us often is a very simple, simple principle and is the maximization of feeling good and minimization of feeling bad is an evolutionary, very, very powerful um, pattern. It's there right from the earliest and simplest forms of life um, and uh, it is still fairly prevalent in the complexity of our minds and our even our neural structures so that's the healthy response the problem is what is healthy does not necessarily lead to awakening you know it's a pr it's a prerequisite but it's not actually the fulfillment of that so human beings um, can do better than that but it takes a little effort uh, and it takes a little readiness to meet the uncertainty of whether we're able to do something new, to meet the discomfort, to um, delay easily reachable gratifications, to um, be prepared to be with things that we might habitually evade. So there's a lot of that likely to happen. You know. And this is not because your practice isn't good. Um, this may be, be precisely because your practice is good, but it may not give you immediate reward or e immediate good feelings. So let us identify some of the things that help us here. Uh, you have noticed there's a few of us here, and over the years I've, I've come to understand retreats to be collective experiences. However much your self-construct uh, does not take into account the other 99 present. Um, basically, you're here as a group. Much of what is going on in you will have to do something with that group. Yeah? Um, how many there are, how fast they are, how loud they are, how sneezing they are, how kind they are, how door-opening they are, how, how much they leave you of your salad or how little, you know, all that. Um, we are geared to be taking into account other fellow human beings. We have 
brain centers for the recognition of facial features so that very, very quickly we can ascertain whether these people are benign, annoyed, sympathetic or uh, predatory. Yeah. So it is to be expected that others are preoccupying our minds and it is likely that when we sit that you will spend considerable amount of time thinking about others, thinking about who you are to others, what others may think of you, what do you like about others, what you don't like about others. This is normal. I'm just saying this this is not just your personal pathology or yeah. So we're geared for this. Uh, however solitary a vision you may have of yourself, however independent a notion you may uh, preach uh, as the guiding principles of your autonomy, um, you're wired for fellow human beings. You know, we are homo empathicus. You know, we, whether you like other people or not uh, is not the question here. You will hopefully like and love some and uh, you will feel that others are liking you and loving you. But even if you feel <coughs> that you're the last human being and the rest are just degenerate creatures which you just have to put up with, even then you are actually still wired for human beings. So let us acknowledge we're here together. Let us acknowledge that we play a huge role in each other's mind. Let us acknowledge that we are deeply relational and empathetic beings. Yeah. And you know, this is some of the best of us. Some of the best of us. That means we have to take responsibility. When I take responsibility for this being here, I help other beings do the work. We all have good reasons to come. We all have to do work we only can do ourselves. Nobody can do, do, do this work for us. Um, introspective awareness is not easy. You know, don't believe meditation teachers when they tell you this. It's not easy. It's hard. We have to cope with a lot of conditioning that pulls our attention away from the process where happiness takes place, the process where suffering takes place. There is a, a deep and intrinsic bias that we exteriorize our attention and that we seek happiness in the field of our experiences and seek to manipulate that field in ways that we think produces us happy states. I wish I could redesign this, but this is just how it works. So turning inward, turning the light, returning the light is, a, is not an easy process. Most of us need help. That's why there are centers and monasteries and places where people come and me meditate together. So one of the things we do with each other, we support each other. There are gestures of such support. One of these gestures is switching off your mobile phones. Switch off your cells. Really do switch it off. Um, try to make a commitment that you don't use this device. I'm not going to um, emphasize, as I sometimes do, that there are particular hells for the, the use of mobile phones. And um, I suspect your, your belief in, your faith in hells may not be strong enough to make this <laughs> an effective means. Um, give yourself the freedom to switch this thing off. Yeah. 
They have great advantages, but on retreats they are not much use. They are uh, distracting you, you will regret. And if you feel you're incapable of switching this off and not using this, I, I question whether you should be here, to be honest with you. Uh, I seriously question whether you should be here if you feel it is absolutely out of question to take this device out of use for the duration of our retreat. You will have to be prepared to make gestures of renunciation. This is not because renunciation is an intrinsically good thing. It, it doesn't feel good often enough when we renounce things. Letting go feels good, but renunciation often and letting go, there is a painful delay in between the two. <laughs> While there are causal connections that make it more likely that letting go takes place if we're willing to do the effort of uh, renouncing something, um, renouncing is necessary to have success in things. It's necessary to focus our energies. You know, our attention is finite. Time is finite. We will die. We do not know when. If things are finite, we will have to make choices what things are more important than others. If we do not make that choice, somebody else will make that choice for us. You know? Habit, parental defaults we have internalized, our friends, uh, unquestioned beliefs. There's a whole number of things that can make choices for us. There's people out there quite happy to make that choice, what happens with your attention. Yeah. So let us take responsibility for clarifying where we give this attention, where we bestow this attention to. Switching off a phone is a good decision because it makes it more likely that your attention will become instrumental to deepen your introspective world. It is also a responsibility towards others. It's uninspiring to see meditators not even trying to hide when using their phones. It's deeply uninspiring. I'm not a Luddite. I have a smartphone myself. but um, This is not my problem. My problem is that you guys make sacrifices to come here and then not honor these sacrifices by doing things that are directly detrimental to what you have come to do here for. Yeah? So I'd like to encourage you to either switch it off or hand it in to Roberta in the office where it will be respectfully and safely kept and uh, can be returned uh, before you return home. Catherine has mentioned silence. Silence is an unusual thing when groups of people who do like-minded things come together. Our normal response is social interaction, for many reasons. To say, it's, I am safe, you don't have to be afraid of me, or please tell me you are safe, I would like not to have to be afraid of you, uh, or uh, I like your scarf, or um, <laughs> did you enjoy your food, or I prefer if you smile at me rather than if you glower at me this kind of thing yeah so we this is the norm so we deviate from that norm to be a group and not actually address each other not try to attract each other's attention we do that as a gesture of respect 
we all know that the work we have to do is work nobody else can do and to be internalizing attention and attending to processes that are um, take quite some time and effort to dissect to become aware of and to relate skillfully to um, takes force it takes patience it takes uh, gestures of giving up other habits we have cultivated with our attention now because human beings are interesting to us even if you pre 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 even if you pretend not to like them uh, or not to be fascinated with them they are still interesting to us you know? you're wired for other human beings um, so one way we can support each other is by having a small profile, by demanding little attention from each other, and yet being kind and caring. So please don't use this noble silence not as a, a blanket you throw around yourself to, to keep off all these horrible meditation obstacles that these people represent. Yeah. Offer this silence as a gesture of respect and a caring gesture. There's no way that there's no encouragement that you should not be kind to each other or in quiet ways look out for each other and hold doors and uh, this kind of thing. Uh, but we do not do that by seeking eye contact or by addressing each other. If the house burns, it's good to wake your neighbors and make sure that we're all out of the building. Yes. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to widen your concept of meditation to whatever happens from now on for this retreat is, med is part of your meditation. The Buddhist term bhavana has somehow strangely shriveled to a notion of something translated by the Latin word for thinking, namely meditari, uh, and somehow we've reduced this activity called cultivation, development, bringing into being. That's what it literally means in Pali language. We've somehow come to associate that with sitting with closed eyes uh, upright on a cushion. There is more to meditation than that. So whatever happens in these days to come, please accept this as part of your practice of meditation. Consider that what may come up in your mind, what this retreat will present, may not be on your list of things to do on retreat. You may have other plans for yourself. You know, so some of us have sketched out their mind development you know, way beyond enlightenment. Yeah? So if your respectful engagement with that mind... Um, that is capable of recognizing its own capacity to wake up, as Catherine has just outlined. If that mind brings up stuff that isn't in your plan, it's appropriate to meet that, yeah, rather than to uphold your plan and try to sidestep your mind. It's also good to acknowledge whether you have alternative programs to the program that is on schedule. So sometimes we arrive at retreats and we're, we have sort of alternative programs. Got to finish some books, f sort out a few of my big questions in my life, get my running done. You know, maybe you have such programs, and I would encourage you to forsake them as a gesture of renunciation. And this whole thing here stands and falls with you being present. 
with you engaging with the rhythms, the patterns, the duties, the instructions, um, sort of the peristalsis of basically this retreat, yeah? people moving in, moving out. Uh, be caring with others, be circumspect, and attend to the responses in your mind. Whatever these responses are, they will be of value if you engage with them, if you associate, if you relate to them in skillful ways. We will um, hope to accompany you with this as good as we can, with instructions, with our presence, with interviews, with talks. Um, so you're not alone in this. For those of you who are doing this for the first time, may I just ask who is here on his or her first retreat, first long retreat? Yeah. Okay, welcome. As you see, there are survivors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So widen your heart for meditation to be more than sitting on a cushion. Engage with the forms and be prepared to for this to be awkward sometimes, to put up with the artificiality of it and be curious what's happening. You know, your mind is a lot more than you think it is. There are wondrous and mysterious things there and um, if they present themselves, respectfully do meet them. Yeah. Even if they're off your map for yourself or for your meditative career or so, just to meet them. You can't miss yourself in this practice. Yeah. Good. I wish you a good retreat and we'll clarify all the rest in the days to come. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.